this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. It's so good to be here with you today. Uh, Just like Emily said, uh, things are different and we know that. And I don't know if you're like me, but staying at home for a week, it's been rough. Thankfully, the sun came out the last couple of days. I could go outside with the kids. We could go for a walk. It really has made things better. However you're spending this time, whatever it looks like at home, my hope for you is that you can feel connected with Jesus and with us as a church in everything. So as always, please text in your questions today. I'd love to address them later when we're finished. Uh, Last week, as we were testing this out and trying something new, uh, we discovered something. There were several of you who had questions, but you waited until uh, the very end to text them in and they didn't come in in time for me to actually address them. So I've got a couple of questions I'll address later today that are uh, from last week. If you have questions, please text those in earlier rather than later to make sure I can address them and help you think about the things you're wondering. So with that, I'm glad you're here. I know this is different. Thank you for joining us and experiencing Jesus with us anyway. I'm not a a movie expert by any means, and I'm certainly not a literary expert. But I I found a pattern, something I seem to have noticed, that uh, happens in almost every movie with this kind of genre. If you're watching a movie where there's some kind of mentor, an apprentice, somebody who's training and teaching somebody else, I, I found that typically one of three things happens. First, the mentor says something really inspiring and then dies, solidifying that that thing into the person that they're trying to train, solidifying it into them as this is important. Uh, Second, if if they don't die, uh, maybe they speak in really confusing ways. They say things that don't really make a lot of sense, and the person who is being trained is left to figure it out, is left to decipher and come up with what exactly is happening. Or third, they seem almost always to say something profound, to inspire, to motivate, to empower, to overcome all odds. And then through a series of hardships and struggle, the person who is growing and learning overcomes just as they were promised. As we continue to behold the man, Jesus, as we continue to look at him, I want us to look at how he's a lot like a lot of these movie figures we watch. So if you're confused and you're going, Adam, give me some examples. Who are these these people you're talking about? Consider Yoda and Luke Skywalker and how confusing Yoda talked. Or or consider like uh, Rocky and Mickey and and Mickey eventually passes away and Rocky's left to figure it out and keep going. Or or maybe Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. See what I mean? These inspiring mentors who then step back and leave who something happens and it's left up to the other person. 
As we behold Jesus, he often spoke in a way that I think Yoda would really appreciate. He spoke in a way that left people thoroughly confused. We call them parables. Stories that Jesus would tell to teach a truth about who he is and what he's come to do. One that often confronted their very core, the things they valued and the things they cared about. And often turned their world upside down. And for many people, they were unable to receive what Jesus had to say. In fact, in one of these moments, actually in in three of the Gospels, Jesus is asked by his disciples, Why do you speak in parables? Can't you just be plain and clear and simple? Why do you speak in such a confusing way? In Luke chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, this is what happens. Uh, And when Jesus, or and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he, being Jesus, said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now he goes on then to explain the parable that he had just shared. It's one of only a few parables he actually explains. But the disciples, they hear Jesus teaching and they say, Jesus, how come your teaching is so different? How come it's so hard to understand and confusing? He says, well, it's so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. In the context where Jesus is speaking, there are large crowds that have followed him. They've seen his miracles, which we'll talk more about next week. They've seen his power. They've they've heard his teaching and they're following him, interested in what he has to offer what he can do for them, how he might change their circumstance or change their situation and make their life better. Not only are these large crowds following, but these religious leaders, these Pharisees and the scribes, they're following, trying to test Jesus at every opportune moment, trying to find a hole, something they can poke at Jesus and say, see, you're not the guy you claim to be. You're not the guy you think you are. You're not enough for us. And in this context of these large crowds and these religious leaders and all these people clamoring to hear what Jesus has to hear, he begins speaking in this coded language, in these parables. Why? Like, to me, that seems completely contrary to best practices, right? I- ideally, in my role, I would want as many people as possible to hear what I have to say. If I believe that what what I have to say or what God is speaking through me is truly valuable, wouldn't I want the whole world to hear it and to understand it and to believe it? But Jesus says, look, I speak in such a way that they might see but not see, hear but not hear. See, there's a huge difference between success the way the world paints it and success the way God paints it. Jesus' goal wasn't to share his message with the masses. His goal was to proclaim the truth to a very specific group of people. See, these masses coming and following, these crowds following Jesus weren't interested in who Jesus was. They weren't interested in what he spoke. They were interested in what does Jesus mean for me. And many of them were these religious leaders who had an idea that said, God's word and God's truth and God's knowledge and wisdom and understanding is only intended for those whose lives look good enough. For those who've gotten it right, who've honored God enough, then they can be imbued with this magical, mystical wisdom, this understanding that nobody else has. 
Jesus speaking to these crowds, many of whom thought that if they only tried harder and did more and got it right, then they could experience God better. He's followed by these disciples, fishermen as we examined last week, or tax collectors, sinners, these people that are often outcast and left aside. These are the ones to whom God chooses to give secrets and wisdom and understanding. Now, Jesus spoke in dozens of parables. We're not going to explore all of them today, but I do want us to take a moment to look at three specific parables that Jesus shares, stories he speaks that those who are sinful and desperately in need of God can experience the truth that God has for them. If you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 15. Here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's the scene, the setting. People like me, like you, sinners, less than perfect, with a broken past and probably a very broken present, are gathering near to Jesus. Not for what he can offer, not for the, the miracles they're hoping to see, but for who he is, this man unlike any other. And the religious leaders, like the people of Israel in the wilderness, they're grumbling against him. Who is he to eat with these people who should be beneath him? This self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude. And so Jesus speaks. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. See, shepherds often traveled in groups because the open country wasn't safe and it was easy to have harm come against your sheep. But if you traveled with other shepherds, if one got lost, you could leave the rest with the, re the other group. You could leave them in the care of somebody and go after the one. And oftentimes when you'd go after the one while you were going after looking for the lost sheep, the other shepherds would take your sheep back into the city, into safety, into comfort, into security, that you wouldn't lose any more in the process. Jesus tells this story, who among you wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one? But he doesn't mention what happens to the 99. Are there others there to care for them? Are they left just by themselves in the wilderness? Questions that these Pharisees would most likely have wondered. And he goes on, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus shares this story and he says, Who among you wouldn't go out and look for the one sheep? Who wouldn't go in pursuit of the one who's lost? Who wouldn't seek out the helpless and, and hurting and lonely one to rescue it? Now, if you have never owned sheep, uh, here's a little fun fact about sheep. Sheep, like herds, sheep need community. And so when left on their own outside, uh, a, she a sheep will just lie down and wait for their herd to come back. 
And in the lying and the waiting, they're vulnerable. They're exposed to prey. They're in a position where they could experience great harm. And they won't get up and move when the shepherd comes, if the other sheep aren't there. And so for a shepherd to retrieve a lost sheep, he'd have to pick up the sheep and carry it on his shoulders back to the rest of the herd. Then once reunited, that sheep can stand firm on its own, can be once again part of this community and go about its daily business without being carried by the shepherd. Jesus, he shares this parable. Look, who among you wouldn't go after the one that's lost? Who among you wouldn't pursue the one who's helpless and vulnerable and desperate? And then when you find it, come and tell everybody, let's rejoice. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. I found the one who was lost. So it'll be in heaven for a single sinner who repents. He comes back uh, with the next parable. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Another fun fact for you, Luke, he values women quite a bit. Anybody who ever tells you women are undervalued in Scripture has never read Scripture correctly. Women are are given great honor all throughout Scripture. Even in some really confusing places and some challenging places, women are honored. But Luke, he, among any of the Gospels, uh, he repeatedly uh, mentions the women with Jesus. Uh, On multiple occasions, whenever he shares a story about one man, he then shares a story about a woman, putting them together in almost every context. It's kind of a neat aside. But here's the second parable of Jesus. What woman having ten silver coins, the word there is drachma, which is a type of coin. Uh, Ten coins would be the equivalent of about ten days wage. Who among you, uh, if you had ten days wage and you lost one day's wage, wouldn't go seeking out that wage. It's quite possible this was not just her wage, but quite possibly uh, her wedding gift. There was a custom that a woman would be given um, money and, and monetary resources and possessions to then bring into the marriage to bless her spouse. It's quite possible that these 10 coins were more than just uh, money in her pocket, more than just safety and security, but quite possibly the very gift she brings when joined in marriage, the very gift she brings to bless her family, to care for others, to support and nurture. Who among you, what woman, if she's lost part of this gift, would not go about the house and sweep everything and look for the one coin? And when he found it, call together friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for the coin that I had lost I have found. Now, speaking these parables to you and I, 2,000 years removed, we can see the joy and the comfort and the peace in them. But for many who were hearing Jesus at the time, there is a lot of uncomfort there. When he says, Who among you? He's often asking a question that many of them would not do. Uh, He's asking a question that was actually not what they would expect. Who would leave the 99? Well, nobody if they didn't have a way to care for the 99. Who would go through the whole house and look for that one gift, uh, even in the middle of the night, and go and wake their neighbors? Who would do that? Well, 
Not a lot of people. In fact, very few. But then comes this last parable. And all three of these need to be read together. You're probably familiar with this next one. This next parable is perhaps one of the most popular and loved parables in uh, the American church, in the Western church. We love this parable, but I think oftentimes we look at it through the wrong lens. Even in my Bible, it's uh, entitled, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. Here's the parable, and I'll tell you where I think we got it wrong. And he, Jesus, he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, if you're familiar with this story, uh, perhaps you know where this is going. See, in this story, there's this man who goes to his dad and says, I want what's coming to me, which in other words is, I want my inheritance. And I don't know if you know this, but an inheritance is only given after death. A will is only made complete when one dies. And this young man in this parable goes to his dad and says, I want what's owed to me. Basically, I wish you were dead. And and the dad, he does the unthinkable. He does the thing that nobody would have expected. He gives it to the son. Even in this dishonor, even in this disrespect, even in this terrible attitude, the Father gives this gift of love. Here's what's owed to you when I die. And the man, he goes, and somehow he liquidates his cash, uh, something that would have been really difficult to do, to liquidate his assets and, and turn them into money, to travel abroad, to go and do what he wants to do and squander. Anybody willing to, to take his inheritance before his dad had died would be be deemed sinful and and disrespectful and dishonorable. Here's the story of this young son who goes out and squanders everything, so much so that he's desperate to even eat the food from pigs, which for a culture that thought pigs were really terrible and, and, and the lowest of low, the most unclean of animals, and the food isn't nutritious or healthy or tasty in any way for this man to be in this desperate broken place. There's really no hope for him whatsoever. The story continues. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. 
and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Just like the previous two parables, there is one who has lost something of value that had gone away, and now it's found. And all the people celebrate. But what I think is most remarkable about this story is that it really has nothing to do with the prodigal son. It's not about the one who ran away, who squandered everything, who lived in brokenness and wasted what their father had given to them. No, it's about the father who welcomes them back. Who in a culture where running was something for servants and slaves, went running to his son in pursuit of the one who was dead, who was gone but is now found. The father who doesn't wait for his son to put forth demands, God or Father, I will be like this to you, your servant. He doesn't wait for him to come up with a list of ways to fix it and to make it right. The father simply rejoices. Come now, let me put on my robe, signifying to everybody, you are mine. You belong in this household. You are a part of my family. Let's sacrifice, let's kill this fattened calf, let's eat, let's celebrate and rejoice a thing intended for family. Here's the son who squandered everything and ran away. And this father who runs after him says, you are everything to me. I will celebrate for you are my family. Then this parable continues. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found. Here's this scene where the father goes running. The father's excited to have his son back. He throws a party to celebrate. And, and music and sacrifice, music in these parties, these big times of celebration were generally reserved for holy moments, special moments, uh, moments where they encountered God. So the brother hears in the field that there's a celebration happening. He says, this isn't a time for celebration. There's no holy day set aside. Why are we doing this? And when he hears it's because his brother's returned, he's angry and he's bitter. Dad, you never gave this to me. In fact, he doesn't even call him father. He just simply says, look, you never did this for me. Why not? I love this parable because it's not about you and it's not about me. 
This parable is not about the son who ran away or the bitter son who stayed. It's not about their response to this father. It is about a father whose arms are open wide, whose love is for those who are lost, who's seeking out and caring for the ones who are broken and hurting and desperate. And sometimes you and I are like the son who ran away, squandering all the good gifts and not believing we're worthy to be found. And sometimes we're like the son who stayed, wishing we could have had a party with our friends instead of celebrating this new person who's been brought in, instead of celebrating that God has done something incredible. In this parable, it's not by accident that this is put next to the previous two. See, when we behold the man Jesus, the one who spoke in these weird parables, who spoke in ways that were sometimes hard to understand, you need to hear this. Jesus has sought you out. Like the sheep that's gone astray, like the coin that was lost, like the son who squandered everything, Jesus has come running to seek you out. To say no amount of squandering, no amount of sinfulness, no amount of being lost will keep you separated from a father who loves you. Yesterday I read an article that I, I need to take a moment to address. In this article it was about Knox County. And the previous 48 hours um, leading up to this article had seen, I think it was eight suicides, roughly 10% of all of last year's suicides in just two days. Look, you need to hear this today. There is a Father in heaven who loves you. There is a Son who came to run after you and seek you out and find you. And all of heaven rejoices that you are found. If you're hurting today, if you're lonely today, if you're broken and questioning and saying, what now Jesus, where are you in this mess? Where do I find you when everything falls apart? If this is you today, you find him here in his word and his promise. He is enough. I, I started with this uh, comparison to mentors who speak in confusing ways, but Jesus, he's more than just a mentor. You see, he doesn't say something powerful and profound and then die to leave us to figure it out. No, he actually said a lot of things powerful and profound and then died so that we could experience it, so that all of his promises would be yes and amen. He doesn't just inspire and encourage and say, go get them, try harder, do better, and then leave us to our suffering. No, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome this world. Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're experiencing, whatever pain you're walking through, take heart that he has overcome. And this man who speaks in parables, who speaks in ways sometimes confusing, does so so that those of us who think we're self-righteous in our own accord, who think we don't need someone else, we will miss the point altogether. But those of us that are broken by our sin and see our need for him and see that we cannot be found on our own accord, like that sheep lifted up on his shoulders, we can be placed on his shoulders in the midst of our brokenness. As he hung there on the cross, all of our pain can be upon his shoulders. And we can have hope and we can have peace and we can know that we are loved 
and all of heaven rejoices every time we turn back to him and say, God, I need you today. Help me today. So church, I want to leave you with this. Wherever you're at and whatever you're going through, know that you have a God who loves you, who has sought you out and is rejoicing that you are his. And nothing, no hardship, no famine, no plague, no death, nothing can ever separate you from the love of this Father. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? God, we come before you today thankful. We are thankful that you have sought us out. We are thankful that you have pursued us. We are thankful that you spoke in such a way that those who had it all together didn't need you, but those who were not okay were invited in. God, we thank you that all of our brokenness and all of our suffering and all of our loneliness and all of our hurt, God, all of the pain that we walk through, you have borne on your shoulders. May we lay it down before you. May we trust in you. May we turn back to your word and these promises, these things that sometimes we don't see and we don't feel, but may we hear them and know them to be true. May we trust in your goodness, in your faithfulness, in your love, in your kindness. And may you be more than enough for us in all of this season, whatever comes next. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering, and I have something really encouraging to share with you. So a week ago Saturday, I received a phone call from somebody at the point who called me to say, Adam, I just lost my job. How is that encouraging, you might ask? Well, he, he called me then the next day on Sunday, and he said, Adam, you won't believe this is incredible. I've worked every Sunday for most of the last couple of years. I never have a Sunday afternoon off, but this week I had Sunday off. And as I was sitting at home in the afternoon, I noticed my neighbor. She was brand new and moving in in her late 70s, maybe early 80s. I noticed her moving in, this elderly lady, and she was doing so by herself. So I went over to introduce myself and say hello, and I realized she just moved into town, and she's brand new in the area. She doesn't know her way around. She's scared. She doesn't have anybody here. But my wife and I, we got to be there for her. We got to meet her and go over and help her unpack and get to know her a little bit, and we got to be there to encourage and love her in this. Isn't God great that I would lose my job so that I had time to notice her? I thought, what a cool moment. Like, nobody wants to lose their job. Nobody's looking forward to being without work. But even in the midst of that, God gave him an opportunity to work in the lives of others, to love and to encourage and to bless. I received a phone call from somebody as well this week who said, I'm doing financially okay, but I know there are some who are not going to be okay. And just like that, gave $1,000 to the church to say, I want to help those who are hurting in this time. Now, I don't know how much we're going to receive in the coming weeks or months to help others. We may not have a lot of financial resources available, and maybe we will. I don't know what's coming, but what I do know is this. Now is the time for you and I to rise up and say, we will love like Jesus. We will see our neighbor who's hurting and comfort them. 
For those of us who are financially able, we will step up and serve with our finances to bless those who are hurting in this time. The finance team we met last week, and one thing we are in the process of putting together is a virtual food bank. And here's what we mean by that. Uh, we know that it doesn't make a lot of sense to collect a lot of food and like cans and stuff and store them in a garage for you to come pick up. But we know a lot of grocery stores are doing free curbside pickup or, or delivery in this time. So our hope is to create a way that you can donate to the point and then we can set that money aside so when somebody comes to us and says, I'm hungry, we can give them a gift card or help them purchase groceries online and they can just go and pick it up themselves from the grocery store. If you would like to be a part of helping us make this virtual food bank happen, or if you would like to be a part of helping us uh, reach our city in profound ways and doing other things, you can do so by partnering with us financially. At thepointknox.com, you'll see a little blue button in the bottom corner. This blue button will enable you to give online during this season to support our mission and help us connect the disconnected to Jesus. So if you are prepared to give today, if you'd like to partner with us, you can do so there at thepointknox.com. If you would prefer to give a check option, uh, you can go to Regions Bank, uh, any Regions Bank through their drive-through and let them know you have a check for The Point Knox and you should be able to deposit that directly into our account. We'll be sending out more information later on how you can do that. But in the meantime, I say, uh, check out thepointknox.com and give electronically. Now remember this, however you choose to give, uh, we don't give to get his love, but we give because we already have it. Thank you for financially supporting The Point and partnering with us to love others in this season. Hey guys, thank you for joining us today. Now every week we invite questions. We believe questions are an essential part of faith and should help you grow. Uh, so here's a couple of questions that were sent in uh, during this last week. One. I keep hearing to trust in God and that he has everything in control. What does this look like in day-to-day -day life, though? It's easy at church on Sunday, but what about the rest of the week? I think to trust in God the rest of the week means to commit yourself to talking to him. Just as my wife and I in our relationship, we talk all the time, sometimes about little things and sometimes about really big things. Our conversation helps us to grow in relationship. We can talk to God in prayer. We can talk to him in his word and hear from him what he has to say. We can talk to him in the community he's given us called the church uh, through small groups, through settings where we're interacting with other Christians who help encourage us and remind us of his promises and his word. Uh, what does this look like? It means when we find ourselves stressed and overwhelmed and anxious, we talk to him about it. Say, God, I can't do this right now. I'm really hurting and I need some comfort. Show me where you're at in this time and in this moment. Um, next up, why do you have to be baptized in order to receive communion? Shouldn't you always be able to receive Jesus? Yeah, you absolutely can always have Jesus. And now throughout scripture, baptism is described as the gift given by God that we might be called his children. We are brought into his family through the gift of baptism. So it's not that you can't have Jesus outside of baptism. It's not that you can't have Jesus apart from being baptized. But it's the way in which he says, you are now mine. I'm stamping you with my name and I will claim you forevermore. So if you're a Christian, uh, communion is a meal intended for Christians, for God's family. 
And, and so if you're a Christian but not baptized, you need to get baptized. And if you're not a Christian but you want Jesus, become a Christian. Like, he's there for you, I promise. If you have questions, we'd love to talk with you more about that and help you experience Jesus in everyday life. Uh, so next up, the fattened calf. Were the rest all skinny? Uh, the fattened calf is language used throughout Scripture to describe the greatest, the best, the most valuable. And so it's not saying the, the rest were skinny, he just had one healthy cow, although he might have. But rather, this father in the parable took the most valuable thing he had and gave it up because his son had come home. Similarly, Jesus, the most valuable that God has, God's own son, was given up unto death for us. All right, one more question then. Is it true that if you commit suicide, you go to hell? I don't know. I know that we are called to repentance, and I know that it's difficult to repent of things after you've died, but I also know that God's grace is enough. And you and I, in our most intimate moment of prayer and repentance, could leave that place and seconds later sin. And in the process, we could also die. I, I don't think that every single sin, if you don't repent of it immediately, will be unforgivable. In fact, that's why we have Jesus, because we can't repent of enough. Now, is, is it true that suicide condemns you to hell? I don't know. Um, I think God's grace can be enough, and I also think let's not test that. And so if you are lonely and hurting and if suicide is something you've thought about, please talk to somebody. I can name a whole long list of people who will listen, who will be there even now to encourage and comfort you, myself included. Please talk to somebody. You are absolutely not alone in this time. All right, there are no other questions that have come in that I can see just yet. So receive this. Uh, well, real quick, before this final blessing, I have one thing to say. Uh, next week is what's traditionally known as Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week or the week leading up to Easter. And unfortunately, we will not be gathering in person for Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday as this coronavirus continues, which is a bummer. But with that said, we have ways that we want to continue to help you connect with Jesus. We have ways that we want to help you and your family experience Jesus differently and uniquely for Easter. So we are working to put together little bags that you can take home that have some supplies and some devotional material good for all ages to help you experience Easter differently. If you're interested in one of these bags, we want to be good stewards of our resources and manage what, what we have well. Will you please write in the comments below or send us a message or let us know that you would be interested in one of these bags to help you worship differently on uh, through Holy Week? That way we only buy enough and we have them available for everybody who wants one and we're not wasting them. If you could do that, that'd be a huge help. Now, church, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Again, we look forward to connecting with you all week long uh, via Facebook and Zoom and all these other digital options. I'll see you guys later. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, 
please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.